Um, hey, you guys, it's so great to be up here with you today. Okay, I also have to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. I feel like there's, yeah. I feel like here's the thing. You guys kind of get the short end of the stick. You know, Mother's Day is like, what? You got something, something, you got something over there? Um, you guys get the short end of the stick. Mother's Day, it's like this high pressure thing. It's like, okay, we got to do all this thing, and we expect it. You guys are all like kind of silent about it. So my prayer for you is this, that you feel honored today and that you get to do something that's really, really fun and that you get to eat something that you really, really love and that you are blessed. Um, if by nothing else, hopefully this message, which is, you know, and even all this morning, it's been all about identity and who God is and who he calls you to be. And he's your father. He's our heavenly father. So my prayer is that that is true. My husband was telling me that he was listening to the radio and I guess like the top thing that dads really want on Father's Day, and you can tell me if this is true or not, is they just want peace and quiet. Is that true? You guys want to go and be left alone? Like, leave me alone. Anyway, so happy Father's Day from me. We've all been telling you there's donuts out there. I hope that you guys enjoy those. After this is done, though, and you're going to need them because we're going to buckle up. It's going to be a hot minute. If you don't know me, my name is Shannon McLeod. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Living Word, and I have the privilege of preaching sermon number five out of our current uh, sermon series that we are in called Truly, Truly. Now, this is a short phrase that Jesus used very frequently in the book of John, and ultimately, if you haven't had a chance, um, you want to go back to the beginning because you learn a lot of stuff in there about this in general, but I'll give you a little synopsis. We have learned thus far that truly, truly is translated from the Greek, and it means uh, amen, right? We know what amen is. We say that at the end of a prayer. We say that at the end of a petition before our Father, we say amen, but Jesus here is using it at the very beginning, which is different, and also ultimately what amen means is may it be true, may it be so. So I don't know about you, if Jesus is saying something to me, may it be true that, dot, 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 whatever the that is, I'm going to sit up and I'm going to be like listening. So that is why we are doing this sermon series in general is because we're like, hey, we better uh, perk up and listen to what it is that Jesus has to say. So today we are going to continue doing that. We are in John 8. And like I said, you're going to have to buckle up a little bit. Just like Andrew last week, there's a lot of scripture to cover because it's just so good. And just a heads up, there are three truly trulys in this section of scripture, and we will go through all three of them, but we will land on the third one, but I'll, I'll give you a heads up on that. So turn to your Bibles, um, John 8, or you can always, you know, go behind me. Look at all that writing. Oh, here we go. Okay, guys, here it is. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I come from and I know where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that any testimony given by two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Verse 21. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am, a going, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. 
This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You indeed will die in your sins. Well, who are you, they asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, a nickname for Jesus, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Here's your very first truly, truly. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Well, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you wanna carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear me is that you do not belong to God. Verse 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am seeking glory for myself. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Here's our very truly number two. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Here's our third one. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. Guys, this is a truly, truly about identity. It's about who they, and more than likely we, 
think Jesus is, and it's about who they, and more than likely we, think we are. Identity is really, really important, not just for our own humanity, you guys, but it's actually also important, way above that, because it helps us in regard to our relationship with him. It is the way that we sort of allow him. It's our ability to allow him to connect or attach with us, and it has a lot to do with how we are able to connect or attach with him. We need to know who we are. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we lay our identity before you. As we look at this scripture, as we tear it apart, as we look at our own lives and our own ideas of who we think you are and who we think ourselves are, help us to be open to see something new. We know you want us to learn something today. So we say yes and amen to that. Mm, Yeah, in your name we pray, amen. All right, you guys, here's the thing that these guys were actually following into, falling into the same trap that you and I fall into every single day of our lives. As humans, we are tempted to believe that our I am statements revolve around one of three things or maybe all three, all three at one time. I am what I do, I am what I have, and I am what other people say about me. I am what I do. These guys were Pharisees, right? They took that pretty darn seriously. It was their job. I'm pretty sure they had other jobs too, but they took this very, very seriously. They are what they did. That's what they were saying. They are what they have. They had status. They were smart. They were knowers of Jewish law. They were Jews of Jews. They basked in that, and they made it known to everyone. And actually, everyone around them kind of bowed down to that. And I am what other people say about me. These guys believed deeply that yes, they were descendants of Abraham and they were, but they believed that because of that, they were saved and that they were free and that they were fulfilled because of that. They had been waiting for Jesus and Messiah very diligently, but yet they were missing that all those things that people say they are, are actually defined by Jesus himself who was standing right before them. Jesus had something else that these, get, that these guys needed to hear. He had something else for them to see about himself and something new that he had them for, for them to see about themselves. So about Jesus and about himself, could they see and learn something new about who they are and who he was? The reality is, is that we can relate to this really, really well. Amen? Do you guys see this? We often, we often define ourselves that we are what we do, that we are what we have, and that we are what other people say about us. Um, famous, now past, uh, famous author, he was a priest, he was an awesome theologian, Henry Nouwen did a three-part sermon series called Being the Beloved, all about this. He delivered it on the Hour of Power at the Crystal Cathedral in 1993. Anybody seen the Hour of Power? No? Okay. All right, well, anyway. <laughs> well, you guys, this was a plea from Henry Nouwen, basically to, to God's people to say, hey, I'm gonna challenge you to throw out these temptations that you have to define yourself on these three things and simply be just one thing, the beloved of God. That was his plea. And the reality is, is that that plea made sense then, it makes sense for today, and it makes sense for always because we always fall into this temptation, don't we? And I have a little bit of reason why, I think. I think the reason that we fall into these temptations is because we actually have three innate needs that are actually God-shaped inside of us that we need to also define. And they are one. We need to know why we are here. We need to know our purpose. You know, we talk about calling and purpose and what should I be doing, right? This is that temptation to I am what I do. We also need to know where we fit. Belonging is really, really huge for us. 
And we need to know who we are, identity, that third piece. The reality is, is that I believe that he put these needs inside of us because they are shaped like him and only he can define those things. They cannot be defined and explained by being, by, by we are what we do, we are what we have, or we are what other people say about us. They can only be defined by being his beloved. Our need to know these things actually draw us to him. They don't have to be horrible things in our lives. They don't have to be things that we struggle and wrestle with, but he will allow us to, because again, they draw us to him, the one who can answer it. But again, we often fall to that temptation to define those things by the world and not out of a place inside us that knows that we are his. But we were not alone. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew whose he was. And ultimately, the Pharisees in this particular section of scripture called him demon-possessed. So there's that. But the reality is we can actually connect to Jesus from this way also because he was tempted to Let's take a look at Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The, de- the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. I am what I can do. Jesus could have done that, right? Jesus answers him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Temptation to be I am what I have. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And lastly, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, what the devil was saying about Jesus was absolutely true. And so the temptation is to be, I am what other people say about me, but Jesus was so much more than this. And he knew it. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left until a more opportune time. Here's the thing, if Jesus was tempted in this way, we better believe that we are absolutely gonna be tempted in this way as well. And he gives such a good model how to stand firm against it. And he stood firm against it based on what the father had told him. Right before this, which we did not read, is Jesus gets baptized, right? John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes on him and God says this about him. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Before Jesus went into the desert, he knew who he was. He knew whose he was. His identity was rooted and grounded in his heavenly father. We have to ask ourselves, I think, some questions at this time, you guys. Because who do we think that God is? Who do we think he is? So if we're talking about identity, let's start with that. Who do you say or think Jesus is? Who do you say or think that God is? What are your he is statements? Are they too limited? Are they too fixed? Do your answers revolve around the temptation that, the temptations that we face daily? Maybe they revolve around the, I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what other people say about me, and we plug him in there somewhere, somehow, to make sense of him and our humanness. 
A little story here is that recently, I feel like there's been a lot of areas where the Lord has been calling me to repentance in a lot of different places in my life, but this is one of them. Because just like the devil, I'm like, Jesus, you're this. And what that this was is you're, you're my comfort. You're a container for me to pour my tears into my heart's desires, my dreams, my wishes, my sorrows, my sadness. But he is able to do immeasurably more than just that. Yes, that's true. He is all those things. And he has been a comfort to me in those areas as I'm thinking about my future and the future of my family and the future of this church and the future of the world and all the different things that are happening. I am pouring out before him. And yes, he is absolutely equipped and capable of that. And he does that all day long, every day. But he is able to do immeasurably more than just that, you guys. And he convicted me. And he was like, okay, I am that for you. And I'm so glad, my precious daughter, that you come to me with that. But he reminded me, I am everywhere. I know everything and I am all powerful. Who do you say God is? Who do you believe he is? Are, are your definitions, your identity components for him too limited or too fixed? Here's the thing, I'm not the only one asking this question. We see in scripture that Jesus says the same thing. Who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? We're going over to Matthew 16, 13 through 17. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. Who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? Here's the key. Peter knew Jesus. He spent time with him. He spent time being the beloved, right? He knew We have to actually ask Jesus to help us with this. I don't think this is something that we can do on our own. As we go, as we work to understand him, as we we are called to press into that place, even as we're called to ask him to to allow us to be his beloved, we need help in all of it. So we need to ask him for that help. We can do that. We have not because we ask not. Help me to understand you. Help me to see you. Help me to allow you to just call me your beloved. Help me to understand the Heavenly Father. Help me to understand the Holy Spirit. We need help in all of it. We cannot do it on our own, but he is with us. He is for us, and he can help us to truly see that and all that who, all who God is, right? He can help us. We are not alone in it. Okay, back to question time. So if we're talking about identity now, we have to take a look at who we think we are. The Pharisees said that they were descendants of Abraham. They called themselves Pharisees. They said a lot of things about themselves and they were kind of missing it. What about us? Who do you say or think that you are? What are your I am statements? Are they complete? Do our answers revolve around the temptations that we face on the daily? Are they honest? Do they hinge on what we do, on what we have, or on what others say about us? We get this wrong too, you guys, because a lot of times when we, when we press into our I am statements, we kind of overestimate, like how many of us do that sometimes? We underestimate, and we, when we oscillate over here, we, whatever, we go over here to this other polar side, and now we're, now we're underestimating ourselves. 
Either way, in those kinds of ways, the way we look to define ourselves, again, by those temptations to be like, okay, because I have this need for purpose, I have a need for belonging, I have a need for identity, I'm gonna look at what I do, I'm gonna look at what I have, and I'm gonna look at what other people say about me. We define ourselves from those things and we are left empty, fully, fully empty. In him, we are full. The Apostle Paul helps us understand this a little bit better. Now, he's talking about this in regard to leadership, but I think it's still really worthwhile to take a look. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 3. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Uh, chapter four. This then is how you ought to regard us, the leaders, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little. Here it is. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any other human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. This is a leader who has tempted to believe what people were saying about him. He was tempted to believe what he had. He was getting kind of sucked into it. I feel like this is a moment where he is bolstering himself and saying, no, in the name of the Father, I just do what he says. Earplugs in, blinders on, laser focused on his faith, on his face, doing exactly what the Father was calling him to do, no more, no less, and not judging himself in the midst of it. How are you judging you? What are your I am statements? Are you overestimating yourself? Are you underestimating yourself? Or are you resting on what, or, or are you resting on what you do, what you have, or what other people are saying about you? Are you falling into those temptations? Because all of that is empty. We must be filled with him to be his beloved, and that is all. And what else pours out of us from that space, that is what defines us. But again, we fall into these kind of temptations where we say things like, I'm the best leader I know. Maybe we say things like, I'm the smartest person in the room. They are all idiots. What about, I'm a money-making machine? Okay, what about this? That was over, that was over inflated. How about under-inflated? Um, I'm not good with my words. I'm not very smart. How about, I'm disqualified from ministry? I'm disqualified from kingdom work because I lack faith, because I don't read my Bible, because I don't pray, because I'm divorced, because I have addictions. He says who you are. And when we spend that time basking in his glory and in his love, we can then redefine who we are as we let him do that work in us. Amen? Worship band, you can go ahead and come on up. So overinflated or underinflated, either way, it's still empty. In him, because of who he is, we are filled, and that is literally the only way. We cannot judge ourselves. We need to just be his kid, just be his beloved. Another great example that we have is actually from the author of the book that we are in in this sermon series, who is John. Um, I love this book so much. It is my favorite um, gospel. 
For one thing, it is the only non-synoptic gospel. So all the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are synoptic, so they actually go along um, the lifeline of Jesus, which is helpful and awesome, but John does not do it that way. The other reason I really, really like John is because toward the end of his book, he actually defines himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I think we give him a lot of crap about that. Um, But the reality is this, you guys, I don't think he's saying like, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved and Jesus didn't love Peter and he didn't love Matthew. That's not what he's saying. I don't think that's what he's saying. I actually think we can really take a page out of his book and understand just like he did that we, that I, Shannon, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. You are the disciple who Jesus loved. He knew something there. He really did. And I think we can really learn something from him if we allow ourselves to do this, to do that. Here's the thing, we are in this together. It is hard work to allow him to redefine who we are. It is hard work to stay away and to stand up under the temptation to just be what we do, what we have or what other people say about us. It's really hard to allow him to define our purpose our belonging and our identity, but we are in it together. We're not in this alone. We can ask him for help to help us to see how, how big really are you? What really are you capable of? We have to make time for him to do that, you guys, though. And I, as the discipleship pastor, I stand up here all the time and I say, don't go looking for time for it, right? Oh, I'm gonna try to, you know, I'm gonna find time. No, no, you make the time prioritize him so that you can sit before him and allow his love to wash over you so that you can be his beloved. And then out of you pours all the rest. He takes care of all the rest. This is all the cry of humanity's heart. We need to know who we are and whose we are. And hear this, God is madly in love with each and every one of you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the depth of your love. We thank you that you call us your kids on this Father's Day, like Andrew said at the beginning, on this Father's Day, may we know that we are yours and that that is what defines us, nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. But it's hard for us, God, because we are here in this world and it is loud and it is tempting and it is hard and there are so many things that come at us. We need you. Show us why we're here. Show us where we belong. Help us to see who you call us to be. And may everything we do from there pour out of that. Have your way in our hearts and minds today as what we have taken and what we have learned as we take away with us. Let it land as you will. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys, we have one other really big and awesome, Jason, you can come grab this for me, um, really big and awesome component to uh, service today, another celebration along with Father's Day, and that is our rooted celebration. So many of you know that our core discipleship course here at Living Word is called Rooted. It's a 10-week course, and we run it a couple of times a year. And we just ran it. We just finished. Um, And we did it during our Wednesday night dinner and groups. And what we like to do at the end of Rooted is this thing called cardboard testimonies. Essentially, what it is is it's this moment 
where uh, this awesome group of people have said, I sat before the Lord and I gave him access to my heart and mind and he showed me something new, something different. As we looked before, looked for the why behind the what, the what of Christianity. You know what I mean? Like those sort of Christian things that we do, we look for the why behind that and he reveals himself to us. That's what Rooted is all about. Well, these guys are gonna come up and they are gonna share what they learned, what their, how their minds were changed, what happened inside of them from their time that they devoted before the Father over these last nine, 10 weeks. So they're gonna come through. When they're done, let's celebrate. We're gonna sing together and then I'll close for us. Carol, come on. 